Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. Coming up on our 29th anniversary next month, Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. This Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. And you can go get the free app, SoundCloud, on your phone, and you can then download podcasts of many, many previous broadcasts of Money Talk. It's always a terrific idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. I take today's calls first and then today's texts, and then any subjects that I feel I haven't had the, frankly, had the time to do. But that also falls into the hated and feared bloviation segment of our broadcast, which only occurs if you do not call or text 512-836-0590. I want to start off by thanking my friend Kenny Rommeyer last Saturday. If you're a regular listener, you know that we broadcast, and I was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Kenny was there in the studio. We had a lot of fun, so Kenny, thank you very much. So a couple of things I've talked about previously that I do a little clarification because it's timely, and that's tax loss harvesting, and that's where you have a security in which you have a tax loss. The adjusted basis is higher than the current price. It's very common when you have a sell-off like we did last year to have uh, when you had a year where, say, the Bloomberg Ag Bond Index was down 13 or 14 percent, and you owned that bond fund, and every month you were reinvesting dividends. So today, even though you may still have a gain based on what you invested, you actually have a taxable loss, and you can sell that fund and take that loss. However, you have to stay out of that fund for 31 days to avoid what's called the wash sale rule. You can't sell it and the next day buy it back and take advantage of the loss. And there, the IRS is looking that you can't just buy the same thing, but you can buy something similar. And I've talked about how, how that works. And I got this uh, reminder email from our longtime listener, Ken, who said the IRS has never chosen to wade into setting rules for mutual funds being swapped into nearly identical holdings for purposes of enforcing the wash sale rule. One may harvest mutual fund losses on the same day that one sells fund S and buys fund V or F. You can see that the holdings are almost identical except for the percentage held. So although the name says, for example, total stock market index, the holdings are different enough to be a different fund, different enough such that the wash sale rules could never be applied to such a transaction. And he got that, uh, some, something called top 10 holdings and sector weightings. And I would just say, I, I know you know this, I'm not a CPA or a tax expert or an attorney, but I look at your portfolio. You should look at your statement. At generally, good-looking statements are the ones that give you the amount invested and compare that to the current market value, but also the adjusted basis. 
because you may find an opportunity here. You, you, if you do that, you sell that, you have this loss, it can be a short or long-term loss, and then you net that out against short against short, long against long, and then if you have any left over, you can carry forward to, free, to future years. You can take $3,000 of that loss against your taxable income and go on down the road. You know, in the, in the middle of a sustained bull market for stocks, uh, there really isn't a lot to be done. And even in a flat market for bonds, you may not have that big of a loss. But given what occurred last year, it's possible and perhaps even plausible that you do have that loss. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I got this piece from uh, Massachusetts Financial Services. I want to give them credit. And the title is, Do Good Things Come to Those Who Wait? The Potential Benefits of and Features of Working Longer. While good saving and investment habits are critical components of retirement lifestyle and income, one of the most powerful tools participants have is deciding at which age to retire. Working longer has some obvious benefits, such as salary, employer benefit coverage, and more time for assets to grow. Other benefits may be less apparent, such as the impact on Social Security payments and how a later retirement date can impact withdrawals from your retirement accounts. And they have a hypothetical example. Looked at four participants, all age 60, with a 401k account balance of $500,000. Each is projected to retire at a different age. And as they show, working longer can have a significant impact on account balances. So they give these hypothetical people names. And Jeff retires at age 62. Valentina retires at age 65, Melody retires at age 67, and Yoshi retires at age 70. They are assuming, as it says, that the account balance is $500,000 and that they are currently 60 years old, that their salary is $80,000, that their annual salary increase is 2%, that they contribute 6% of their pay, and that their employer contributes 4.5% of pay, and they make an annual investment return of 6%, an assumed life expectancy of 85 years. Those seem to me like reasonable assumptions. So if Jeff retires and he has 500000 when he's 60 and retires at 62, his 401k balance is $579,000. Valentina waits and retires at 65, her, five, her 401k balance is $720,000. In Melody, if she retires at 67, which for most people is full retirement age, her balance is $828,000. In good old Yushi, who retires at 70, I don't know if that Yushi is a male or a female, that person's retirement balance in the 401k is $1,019,000. But it also gets better than that. Because you also, by postponing Social Security, get a different benefit. So accounting balances, like I just talked about, are really only one part of the story. What really matters is how much income a person will have in retirement, along with expenses. And understanding Social Security and its impact on retirement income and the surviving spouse is critical. For many prospective retirees, the Social Security full retirement age, as I said, is 67. 
Social Security benefits can begin at 62. However, claiming Social Security before your full retirement age reduces your benefits. On the other hand, after you reach full retirement age, your retirement benefits grow by 8% per year. That's right, 8% per year. If you're married and you are the higher earner, and at your death, your surviving spouse may step up to the benefits you're receiving. So let's go back to our four hypothetical pre-retirees. They estimated their potential retirement income from their 401k balances and added in their Social Security benefits. Next, this company determined the percentage of their pre-retirement income that would be replaced by this income, often called a retirement income replacement ratio. Hope you're following this. Not surprisingly, working longer and letting Social Security benefits grow could result in a significant increase in annual retirement income and a corresponding increase in income replacement at a later stage. So remember old Jeff, he retired at 62. What happens is when you take his Social Security benefit and the withdrawal rate that they use, he gets $50,000 a year, which is about 62% of his pre-retirement income. Remember, I said everyone was making $80,000 a year. Then we come along with Valentina, who retires at 65. Her retirement income combined withdrawal rate from her 401k and her Social Security benefit comes to $69,000. That's about 81% of what she was making when she worked. But now we come to Melody. She's smart enough to wait and retire at 67. And what happens is when you take her balance from her 401k and withdraw from that, plus her increased Social Security benefit, she gets $87,379. That's called a 97% retirement income ratio. And how will you, she, he's really, or she's really the bright one, works till 70. And their retirement income plus their Social Security comes to $124,192, which is pretty remarkable. So when you think about retirement, think about these factors. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. I'm going to take a break. When I return, I'm going to visit with Mark from Round Rock. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Hello, here's one. Good. Here's a text. Hi, Carl. I'm hearing of Congress considering means testing for wealthy retirees to deal with the Social Security deficits. Any ideas if this will lead to any action? You know, I'm really glad that we live in a representative democracy and a republic. But there are prices to be paid. And one of the big ones is government can provide entitlements. Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, and many others. And to some extent, the word entitlement has a a bad connotation. But that's what uh, economists call it. And there's one thing that's absolutely the truth, and that is once you give a group of people an entitlement, the odds that you're going to take it away from them are slim and none. 
There are candidates out there, I was talking with a friend this morning, who are talking about getting rid of Obamacare. Really? You think after you give people access to health care, you're going to take it away? I don't think so. So Social Security, unlike Medicare and Medicaid and other government-sponsored health care situations, Social Security is eminently fixable, and you've just nailed one of the ways in which it is. Because what happens is you and I don't have an account at Social Security with our name on it, and the money we've paid in over our working career means that that's what we're going to get when we get out. That's not the way it works. The way it works is people pay into the system, and they turn around at the Social Security Administration and pay it back out to the qualified recipients of Social Security. Worked like a charm when it was started because you had many, many people in the workforce compared to the number of people who were retired and could get Social Security. And people died when they were 65, 66, 67. The report this week is that the average longevity or uh, average age of death in the country is now 77 and a half. And so the Social Security trust fund is running out of money. And it will go, and it will clearly be in trouble. So, how do you deal with that? There are really only a few levers, but at least they're levers. One is you push back the age at which you qualify for a benefit. Now, the problem that, with that and why that's unlikely to work is because people who have had hard jobs, hard physical jobs during their lifetime, may not be able to wait. And secondly, a lot of people don't have any retirement savings. So if they don't get Social Security, they're they're broke. The other piece is you could put an inflation cola in it, and you could say that uh, we're going to increase the uh, tax withheld by some inflationary amount. So in periods of rising inflation like now, Instead of the employer and the and putting in 6.2%, they'd have to put in more. The third one, which is so obvious, is that once you make a certain amount of money, and I can't remember the number, but I think it's like $160,000 this year. I can look it up. Anything that you make over that is not subject to Social Security. It's subject to Medicare tax, which I think is 1.35% of your taxable income. So what happens is if you raise that cap, which is what you're asking, to twice that amount, my guess is you take in a lot more revenues. And if you eliminated the cap, you take in a whole lot more revenues. But back to my comment about a representative democracy. What are the odds that you're going to, that you're going to see the government in the foreseeable future raise that so that a whole lot more money is raised and people who are accustomed to not paying that much as a percentage of their income end up paying a whole lot. Guess what? They're going to talk to their Congress people, and they're going to raise you-know-what to make sure that that doesn't occur. So I think there's conversation about it, to answer your question. You bet. But do I think that it's, that it's likely or plausible? I would say in the short run, sadly, the answer is no. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Laura, you're on the air. How may I help? 
Hi, yes. So I've been listening to you, and I've just got to, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah. I'm 63 years old. Uh-huh. I'm a nurse. I've been coming to kind of a, oh, I guess a dumbass when it comes to savings or money matters mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have a whole lot put back, but I'm going to honestly, I don't think I can stay as a nurse until I'm 70 years old. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. Yes. Mentally or, or physically. Yes. So do I just go out and get get me some crap little job like bagging groceries at HEB and then continue to do that till I'm 70 or I would say, you know, you know, it's easy for me to sit here and say that. And I understand I've read enough about how remarkably stressful being a nurse is that I'm not in the least bit surprised that you won't be able to make it to 70. I am grateful for your, for all of your service. I would say that if you could find a way to, continue to work and not draw it down, you'd be much, much better off because as a nurse, you're probably uh, have a healthy lifestyle first. Secondly, you're a female. You need to plan on living deep into your into your 80s, in my opinion. And right. that's that, that benefit really is stunningly different. I was using that uh, example earlier on the broadcast and um, the, when a, this, if someone making eighty thousand dollars is my the, when it, when one person retired at sixty two, their social security benefit was nineteen thousand. Retiring at sixty five, it was twenty six thousand. Mm-hmm. Retiring at sixty seven, it was thirty three thousand. And retiring at seventy is forty six thousand dollars a year. I mean, that's a huge difference if you're going to live a long time. And so the answer to your question is painful. But yes, if you can do if if you just have to quit because of the stress, I fully support that. If you can find something else so that you don't have to draw down that amount, boy, that's a, that would really really be to your benefit if you could do that, Laura. Is my is my though? But do I need to make as much money as no. I can up until I retire? No, you do not. No. Okay. And how much money? Like once I start drawing Social yes. Security, yes. can't I go ahead and like? work and still make some money on top yes. of that without being penalized? Yes, as long as that once you hit full retirement age, you can make money and not be penalized. If you take start taking social security at early at sixty two, there's some penalty on the on the earnings. But at sixty seven and beyond there's no penalty on the earnings. So you could so make more money. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's based on your year of birth, date of birth, and the most common one now is about 67. It could be 67 and a half, but you, every year you should get a statement from the Social Security Administration. They'll tell you what your current projected Social Security benefit would be at full retirement, 62, full retirement age, and at 70. That's how to think about it, okay? Okay. Okay, well, that, that helps me out. I did answer some questions. Sure. I, I appreciate you. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk. It's time for me to take a break. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another 25 minutes. If you've been thinking of calling or texting, now would be a terrific time to do that. 512-836-0590. You may listen online at newsradioklbj.com. 
Go there at your convenience to download podcasts of today, of previous shows. Also, you can go to SoundCloud and do that. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. Bob, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, Carl. I'm a saver. And whenever we have the topic about um, do I take Social Security early yes. or later, yes, um, it it's a little hard for people to get their head around it. Yes, you always get me sold because you talk about the eight percent per year that it changes, and <laughs> right, right then and there, I'm I'm sold. Okay, <laughs> but but there's another answer to that. Yeah, that, that I'm not sure if I've heard you speak okay. to or not, but that okay. is the break-even age. As yeah. you know, yeah. they calculate the Social Security at 62 and 66 or 67, mm-hmm. and then at, at 70. Mm-hmm. They, they're all based on how long you're going to live. Right. And the one answer I tell my friends who are single, yeah. and they say, should I take it at 62, or six, is do you, how long are you going to live? Well, right. I don't know how long I'm going to live. Well, yeah. here's your answer. If you're going to live to age 74 or older, don't take it early. Okay. It, the break-even age comes in around 73 or 74 if you okay. take it early. Okay. Uh, you'll get money now as opposed to waiting, yeah. but if you live longer than age 73 or 74, you'd have been better off waiting. Yeah. So it's another way of the same answer, yeah. but yeah. It, it basically says none of us know how long we're going to live, yeah. but 74 no. these days is not that old. No, it's not. And you make a good point. You sped past it, but I. But it's important. If you're a single person, you're absolutely right. Then it becomes strictly the, strictly the break-even. You're absolutely right. The other thing, and I know you know this, is that you're an outlier in America because you're a saver. Uh, you, you read the financial press, and you know how many people are living strictly on Social Security, which, of course, is a tragedy for them. So I really appreciate that's another way, another way to look at it. So thank you for that. And you said you're a saver, but, Bob, you're cheap. <laughs> I, I have framed in the living room the first penny I ever made. <laughs> okay. See you later. You. Happy holidays. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, if I wanted to buy a stock to hold for our grandchildren for 30 years, 35 years, what would you recommend? Terrific question. Good for you for thinking like that. I would tell you this. I wouldn't buy an individual stock. And I'm going to tell you why. This is a benefit of being around this thing for the last 45 years. I don't know that this exists now, but in the old days, Fortune magazine every year ran an article on America's most admired corporations. And year after year after year, it seemed like it was IBM. And then year after year, it was General Electric. And IBM really got in trouble. They had to fire tens of thousands of people. They lost market share. The stock just went absolutely in the tank and took years to come back. And General Electric, which everybody said Jack Wells, the CEO, was a genius, it completely imploded and broken up into several different parts. And these are what we call blue chips. These were not speculative companies and speculative stocks. By the same token, there'll be long periods of time 
where you'll have a terrific investment. Let's talk about Round Rock-based Dell Computer. There was a moment, because I remembered talking about this on television, there was a moment when it was the best-performing stock for the trailing one-year, three-year, five-years, and ten-years, which had never happened in the S&P 500. Stock went to 70, and then it went in the tank, and Mr. Dell took it private at $10.50. And if you were the person that bought it at 70, guess what? So I think a 30 to 35-year time horizon is a wonderful time horizon. I happen to think that trying to pick a winner over that time is a mistake. I think you'd be much better off to purchase a broad-based stock index. The popular ones would be the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the total stock market. Personally, the NASDAQ which has been on fire in recent years, contains lots of fast-growing companies which also can implode. I'd stick with either a total stock market index or an S&P 500. My preference is total stock market. Their performance is very similar. Through yesterday, yes, if you could could buy an exchange-traded fund, and I'm not making a recommendation, but you could buy the Spider S&P 500 symbol SPY, Year-to-date, it's up 21.39. Or you could buy, say, the Vanguard Total Stock Market symbol, VTI. It's up 20.73. Very, very close. Now, of course, the NASDAQ can do great year-to-date up if you look at the Fidelity ETF symbol, O-N-E-Q. It's up 38.5%. That's nuts, right? But it can also drop. It was down 33% last year. And you don't know when your grandchild is going to need the money if the market's going to be up or down. So I would suggest you buy a low-cost index and you can buy an exchange-traded fund and forget about it because if the stocks in that in that portfolio pay dividends, you just sign up to reinvest the dividends. They're very tax-efficient, and that is precisely what I would do. Thanks for your question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512 836 0590. Thomas, you're on the air. How may I help? Uh, good afternoon, uh, Carl. I had a question about uh, emergency fund. Um, I have uh, an amount of six figures in yes. a uh, local credit union yes. uh, for um, that will cover about a year's um, mm-hmm. uh, income. However, uh, I'm not getting any interest whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, in my portfolio, I have a number of CDs. In fact, the majority of my uh, portfolio is in um, CDs. So uh, I was wondering if there was a liquid equivalent of yes. other more competitive uh, yes. uh, avenues. Yes. You know, for years, the answer was, I'm sorry, no. But now the answer is, I'm happy to say yes. So you should look at money market funds. Money market funds are mutual funds, but they don't invest in stocks. And they, their objective is to keep the price per share or net asset value at $1. There's no commission or sales charge going in or going out. And there are three kinds of them, depending on and based upon what they invest in. They all invest in very short-term securities that mature in a year or less. So there are what are called prime, P-R-I-M-E, money market funds. And they will buy debt, short-term debt, of very high-quality corporations. Then there are ones that are called government. 
They can buy U.S. Treasury securities, the safest in the world, or government sponsor government agencies would be Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, also extremely safe. And the third kind is called Treasury. And as the name implies, they buy only Treasury securities. All of these are currently yielding above 5%, and you have daily liquidity. And that's a terrific idea. Now, what's the risk? The risk isn't that your six figures is going to go down. The risk is eventually interest rates are going to go down. I don't know when that's going to happen. Right now, the financial markets are betting it's going to happen later next year. And eventually, if rates go down, so will be the so will the return on your money market fund. But based on my experience, certainly no guarantee of the future, I think money market fund yields will still be better than what you get at the credit union. Uh, and what credit unions and banks have learned is that once people have deposits, they're sticky. They don't tend to move them around. I would, right. if I were you, I would I would look at money market funds. All the big firms have them. I mean, Fidelity and Schwab and people like that all have money market funds. And you can simply do what I did, which is go to their go to the Fidelity website or the Schwab website or others and just look at the various money market funds. And if you, because you're a conservative person, I would recommend that middle one that I said, you know, the government one, because the government is not going to let Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac go out of business and the treasuries are not going to go out of business. And you will simply get the best return that's available in the market for short-term high-grade securities. If I were in your shoes, that's what I would do, Thomas. Great. Thank you. The liquidity you spoke of, you said daily liquidity. Yes. So it's, it's just like a, uh, credit union, you can yes. take your money out of the income. Yes, okay. yes. That's exactly right. You can even get check writing with some of them if you want it. So that's that's a terrific idea, in my view. Fantastic. Thank you very much. You bet. Thanks, Thomas, for calling. You're listening to Money Talk. We're down to our last 15 minutes. If you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ. 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for another period of time, and we have all of our lines available. Call or text 512-836-0590. 13 minutes, as a matter of fact. Here is a text. Here's an idea. I re- This goes back to the person who called and she is a nurse and she said she didn't see how she could make it given the stress of her profession how she could make it to 70 and a good a thoughtful listener sent in this here's an idea i retired from nursing at age 59 and got a good job at the irs i worked there until i was age 69 very interesting work well i think that's a Good for you. You don't have to be a bagger if you don't want to be at the HEB, and I'm not criticizing that as a job. And we have a robust job market here in Central Texas, so thanks for that idea. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Randy, you're on the air. How may I help? Oh, uh, great to talk to you again, Carl. Thank, this is thank. Randy. You're dithering, Randy, in <laughs> Georgetown. Um, okay. I uh, was... Well, I was going to my credit union the other day for a cash transfusion, yes. and walking through the lobby, uh, a guy 
who appeared to be like a managerial type, yes. uh, kind of buttonholed me and said uh, uh, they were offering uh, 5% CDs, and that seemed to be kind of odd to me since they only offer like 1.75 on uh, money market savings yes. accounts. Yes. And I'm wondering, does that sound right? Uh, yeah. Did I pass up a good opportunity? Well, it sounds right. I'm not sure if you passed up a good opportunity. They're, they're, the, 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 what's going on is two things. They want to maintain the level of deposits. And because rates have risen, they can borrow money from you at 5% and make auto loans at a lot more. And that's profitable for the credit union. And that's good. I mean, I, I, want, I don't want them to go out of business. But what's really surprising is their cash returns, which you just described at 1.75, uh, is so far below uh, what it you know what you could argue it should be given the treasury market and where short rates are and the Fed funds rate at over five and a half percent. But what banks and credit unions have savings loans have learned is that Randy will dither and leave his money in cash, and because it, it's comfortable and he doesn't have to think about it. That's why uh, I would say for most people that taxable money market funds uh, have, in my experience, even in low-rate environments, paid more than banks and credit unions and savings and loans. I, mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago I'd get my bank statement, and I was getting on my, on my savings, I was getting 0.01%. Really? Um, so I think I think I'd... If you if you if the CDs appeals to you, the benefit of the five percent is that you've locked it in for a certain period of time. And what you'll find if you go out and look at something called the Treasury curve, you'll see that as you go a little further out past a year, out towards two, three, and four years, the yields start to be lower. Now the reason for that, because as you know, that's unusual. Typically, the long, the five-year CD is going to yield more than a three-year CD, which will yield more than a one-year CD. But what we've got is the marketplace is telling us that in global investors think interest rates are going to come down. Now, whether that's because there's a recession or whether the Federal Reserve is successful in bringing down the rate of inflation, nobody knows. So the longer you, the longer you go out on the Treasury curve, the lower the yield, yes. But you also lock it in because if global investors' bet is correct, and you stay on the short end of the curve at a six-month CD or a one-year CD or an 18-month CD, when those returns, when those bad boys mature, you may be maturing into a much lower-yield environment. So I don't find the 5% CD fishy at all. I do find the 1.75% very fishy, and I'd look someplace else for that if I were you, Randy. Yeah, so you'd recommend, like, short-term... Uh, CDs rather than long? No, I wouldn't. Um, oh, okay. No. I, I've always liked a ladder. Um, if you don't need the money to live on or you're just living on you're using the interest, I'd stagger them out there because I think we're within, it's entirely plausible that we're within 12 months of lower interest rates. And if you're in short-term CDs, you're, you're taking a lot of interest rate risk because that, those CDs are going to, that CD is going to mature and guess what? You're going to get a much lower return on the on the next time around. So if you had, I'm just making this up, $100,000 in the credit union or the or, or the bank or wherever, split it into $25,000 pieces by one, two, three, and four-year CDs, 
and then a year from now, that two-year CD is one year, and the one year is now cash in your pocket, and you can buy a new four-year. Because we're eventually going to get back to what's called a positive yield curve, where longer-term CDs are going to pay more than shorter-term CDs. If you stick the whole works in the shortest term right now and rates go down, you're going to have given up a lot of extra returns. So I'd go with the CD ladder uh, if I were in your shoes. A quick follow-on. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm quite the aged cheese, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm looking at maybe what happens if I don't, uh, sur- if I don't survive the uh, term of the CD. Uh, does it cash upon Great notification that of my passing yeah. there at the credit union, or do my yeah. survivors get to uh, hold on to the CD until yeah. they mature? I think you have to check with each institution. When I look at a list of what are called brokered CDs, these are these are banks from around the country that want to borrow money, and, and the big broker dealers like and custodians like Schwab and others have these brokered CDs from different banks, and some of them have what's called a death put, P-U-T, and what that means is something that you just alluded to, which is that if the owner dies with the proper documentation, the survivor gets the money. Now, what I don't know is, does let's say it's a five-year CD and, and a person passes away and there's three years left on the CD. Does the survivor simply get to keep that CD for the next three years but have it in her name rather than the decedent's name? I would take that up with the institution. I would say as a corollary, even though you didn't ask this, I've been listening to people who were executors who say they're having real problems getting banks and credit unions and savings and loans to quickly handle the paperwork so that they can get the money. Because a lot of times people have money in the bank and their executor needs it to close up their affairs, pay off their uh, debts or pay off their beneficiaries and they're having a hard time with it. So I think the bigger question I would ask is, if I buy this CD and I die before maturity, what happens? The second is, if I have money with you, whether it's in a CD or it's it's in a cash account and it's in my name only, what happens when I die? What kind of documentation does the executor have to have when she or he comes in? Because I'm learning more and more about how difficult that can be. We have a regular listener, Nancy, who went on and on with me about how hard it's been for her to get things settled up with banks and credit unions. So my advice is go to where you're going to have the CD and be very specific about those questions to get, to get satisfactory answers, Randy. Yeah, I'll, I'll be having a longer conversation with this dude next time. <laughs> yes, okay, well, thanks will. a million. You, uh, okay. Well, thanks 10 okay. million, yeah, okay. Carl, and <laughs> happy holidays and to you and same. yours. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ, 512-836-0590. Here's one that came in. Let's see here. Carl. I'm taking my required minimum distribution and not needed at all. Where should I put the funds? Well, actually, this is an investment question. And so you want to kind of look at yourself and it's about risk and reward. Because you don't need the money, that means that probably you can take some risk with it. And you're 70, 71, 72, 73, something in there. And the question is, when you get to be in your 70s 
and you have money and you don't need it to live on, you ought to ask yourself the question, what's the purpose of this money? Do I want to leave it to my heirs? Do I, do I have a surviving spouse that's going to need the money? Is she going to have to cash things in or he? Um, do I have kids or grandkids that I want to help out with education, for example? Do I uh, have philanthropic intent towards my church, synagogue, mosque, alma mater, uh, 501c3 social service agency? All of these are really important questions. So let's, take, let's just take the first idea. I want to keep the money. I don't want to give it away. Fine. Now, if you think you just want to know that the, that the money is safe, you can just put it back in a savings account. You can put it in a money market fund, whatever. I would encourage you to think bigger than that because I think if you were to start to invest the money, and you're getting some, it's not all the money you have, obviously. If you were invested in a balanced portfolio of stock and bond mutual funds and probably alternatives and exchange traded funds and let it grow over time upon your, and, and you get daily liquidity, by the way, it's not like you're locking it up and upon your death, your heirs are going to get that and they're not going to pay any taxes on it because whatever you paid for it called your cost basis disappears. And now the cost basis is a value at their time at the time of your demise and your heirs can take it, sell it, pay no taxes, or they now have your the, the date of death cost basis, and they can continue. To, it's a wonderful way to pass on wealth. The last thing I would say is if you do have any kind of charitable intent, you ought to look at something called qualified charitable distribution, it's QCD. And that is you can take that RMD, but it'll come directly, it'll come payable to your church or your alma mater or whatever the case is. You can get the check delivered to you or your custodian can deliver it to them. You pay no taxes on the RMD and you satisfy your charitable intent. So those are some of the things you might want to consider. Well, we're out of time. I want to thank Garrett for doing his usual terrific job and remind you next Saturday after the news at 4 to be sure and tune in to Money Talk. Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. 